Our scripture reading today is Hebrews chapter 7, 1 through 10, found on page 1004 of your Pew Bibles. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your written word and the mighty truths that it contains. We pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and minds to the truths that you wish us to see. Amen. For this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and to Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. And those descendants of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. The word of God for the people of God. So I, um, ooh, that's loud. Um, I, I notice uh, things pop up in my YouTube algorithm, and I'm almost scared to share to make you wonder what brought these in. But I, I notice a, a number of um, young, attractive, single men telling about how they've organized their life, what their morning routine is, how they are productive, how they're going in and taking on the day and, and doing all these things. And honestly, the, the, the way the pictures are done are so good and, and the, the, you know, the, the video is edited nicely and there's some music and they do look productive and they look like they're doing a really good job. And, um, you know, so much to the point that it occurred to me one time, it's like, well, they're about Keelan's age. Uh, I'd really give me a, you know, an older man who's got some scars, bruises, and a lot of gray hair who's told me what he's done rather than a kid telling me what they're planning on doing, and I'd probably be more ready to listen. In other words, we are in a culture that idolizes youth. So it tries to convince us that if we want wisdom, we should listen to kids and that we kind of should try to emulate them. And so many of us have bought into the idea of, well, let's just say when I, I get hair products, that, that just for men looks pretty tempting because we're in a culture that doesn't value age and wisdom. But most of the ancient world, much of the world today, and the biblical world understands with gray hair comes some wisdom. You've figured out how to do a few things. You've 
you've made it this far without doing something dumb enough to kill yourself. You know, you've, you've kind of um, made it through a few winters and that if you want to really know how to get something done and be productive and seize the day, maybe it's more important to look at somebody who's actually done it than somebody who can look cool and convince you that, um, forgive the old man rant. That's kind of the point of what is going on here is there was a certain respect of honoring parents and grandparents. There was a certain sense of, of looking to forebearers and recognizing the elder had, had wisdom. The older folks have a connection to the past that they're able to hand on to us, that we certainly love and, and cherish youth, but we also um, all to remember um, the things that have been accomplished and the great things that have been accomplished in many ways that we can respect of those who have come. And th that's kind of the point being made here is our father Abraham paid tithes to someone, gave respect to someone, was blessed by someone. And because he was the ancestor of Levi and therefore the tribe from which priests come, he is seen to be superior. He is seen to be greater. And this is the, the point being made about Jesus as our great high priest. Um, we've referred a few times to Melchizedek, and now the author of Hebrews is going to begin to unpack what that means. And, and in essence, what is going on is... Um, He's saying that Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. That was the tribe of kings. He was a son of David. And you, you might remember we talked about how they were, had to be struck with the question of how could one be um, at once a priest and a king. If he was a king from the tribe of Judah, the son of David, he could not at the same time be part of the tribe of Levi, which was the tribe of priests. And this is the point. He was not that type of priest. He was a priest of a different order, of the order of Melchizedek. And what he wants us to see is this order is superior and greater than the order of Levi, the order of Aaron, the order of the priest who served in the tabernacle and in the temple, the, the priesthood that was given through Moses because it preceded the priesthood of Moses. It was older and so he reminds us of a story from Genesis, Genesis chapter 14. In fact, it's, it's a stretch to call it a story because it's just a few verses. In fact, as you're reading Genesis, it kind of doesn't follow along. I mean, you read it, it fits in, but there's no real bearing on much of the rest of Genesis, there's a saying, I, I, I can't remember exactly, but it's something about like in a play, if, if someone um, or if the, the writer describes the gun that's on um, the mantle in scene one, by scene three, someone has to be shot. This is placing of the gun that's not shot until thousands of years later. The scenario is Abraham and Lot have separated. 
You remember they, they say, hey, we got too many uh, sheep, good problem, but we can't be in the same area. We're going to have to go off. And, and Lot goes over near Sodom. Um, Abraham takes the land God has promised. And then Lot gets entangled with some local politics. Several kings rebel against some other kings. There's a big fight. And Lot is taken away because Abraham is Lot's kinsman, his nearest kinsman. He's the one who's responsible for redeeming, for going after, for rescuing. And so he goes. He, uh, Abraham leads his men. They have a victory, and he begins to return. And then, then in verse 17, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava. So the king of Sodom is going to meet Abraham. And then verse 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of, the Most High, of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And then it continues with the story of the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me persons, but take the goods for yourself. It's, it's barely a mention. It's just he comes out, they have a meal, he blesses him, Abraham gives him a tithe. Um, as an aside, we see the, the idea of supporting and giving to them a portion, uh, a tenth, uh, this precedes the Mosaic law. Now, for some of you, I want to say, you know, prove me wrong, but I, tithes for Vegas winnings is 20%, you know, and, um, um, and, and con considering the amount of um, flooding and heat loss and things, I thought this really should be more of a major point on tithing, but it won't be. We're going to move on. So, his whole point is, Abraham gives a tithe to the one who's greater. He, he gives a tithe. He gives a tribute. He gives a portion to the one who is seen in gra as greater, and that one is Melchizedek. And so because of that, because the priesthood, because Levi and Aaron descend from Abraham, there's a sense in which the priesthood of Israel gives a, has given a tithe to Melchizedek, showing the superiority of of this Melchizedek and his priesthood over the priesthood that was part of Aaron, that was part of Levi. In other words, it's greater, it's superior. And his point is to the Christians who were meeting early on, who were tempted to leave Jesus and return to the temple, who were tempted to leave Jesus and go somewhere else wasn't so difficult. His whole argument of this book is Jesus is greater, Jesus is greater, Jesus is greater. And the argument here is, Jesus is part of a priesthood that is greater than the priesthood over at the temple. Trust in him. Hold fast. It's a superior priesthood because it's a priesthood to which this priesthood gave honor to and received blessings from. This is what he's pointing out. He says, Levi was just another brother of the others who became tribes. So there's a sense in which they're receiving from their brothers. But this is one who received from our father, and, and he's greater than them. So we see that this priesthood is, is superior, and he's making this case that there is a different priesthood that went before 
hundreds of years before Moses received the, the, the covenant that set up the priesthood of Aaron. And, and this one that proceeded so much before also tied those two offices together of a priest and a king. He begins to explain who this king is. So as we're thinking of Jesus as our priest, as our king, we recognize he's part of another order. He's part of something that was revealed to Moses early, early on and never really understood until, well, in part when the Psalm 110 begins to talk about him that he quotes and then explained here. So he's going to explain who this is. As he explains the superior priesthood, one is Melchizedek comes and he is, verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, continuing as a priest forever. If you've ever started at the first of the year of let me read through the Bible and you pick up Genesis, it's not long before you come to these really, really long list of names. So-and-so begat so-and-so and he died. So-and-so begat so-and-so and he died. So-and-so begat so-and-so and he died. They're just all over the place. And the author of Hebrews kind of points this out to say, here's a figure who's pretty significant. He's pretty significant. If Abraham's going to give him a tithe and he blesses Abraham, that he comes and there's no genealogy. There's no mention of who his mom or dad is. There's no saying this is where he comes from. There's no mentioning of this is when he was born. There's no mention of when he died. And all of this is to show us, like Jesus, he's an eternal priest. He's a priest without beginning. He's a priest without end. This is the, what's picked up as um, in Psalm 110 that he said, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The, the ordering of Melchizedek is an eternal priesthood that has no beginning or no end. It's from the foundation of the world and continues forever. That shows us what the priesthood of Christ is like. This shows us what his reign as king is like. He is one who is eternal. And he begins to unpack his name. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, was the priest of the Most High God. So let me just point out a few things here. He shows us his part of who he is as king, part of who he is a priest. So the name itself is Melchizedek. That, that, that's the Hebrew word for king and righteousness. Um, Melech is king, Zedek is righteousness, and, and here we see a king of perfect justice. He's, he's explaining this name, the king of righteousness. He will reign with perfect justice. In his own life, he fulfills perfect righteousness. He fulfills God's law. And he comes as a king to win for us a victory, fulfilling God's law. Uh, the, the, the whole understanding of how we're made at peace with God is that he fulfills the law perfectly. The, the demands that sin be paid for is... God doesn't just turn a blind eye. He doesn't overlook. He pays for it with perfect justice. Christ's death satisfies God's just demand. He is one who will come and establish a kingdom of righteousness. Moreover, he is the king of Salem. This is this location. The, the word Salem um, we believe is most likely going to be later called Jerusalem. 
It's the idea of Zion. It's Jerusalem. It, it is um, the, David's city. But his focus isn't on the location. His focus is on the name. So maybe you're familiar with the word shalom, peace. This is Salem. It's it, peace. He is the king of peace. And he points to the one who Isaiah pointed to as the prince of peace the one who comes to us to make peace with us and God, the one who is to grant us perfect peace. He is the king whose kingdom is a kingdom of peace. And for that, for us, it means not just an absence of conflict, but the idea of peace means everything being well and whole and complete. The idea is that it's the joy we have. It's, it's an abundant life. And he is the one who told us he came that we might have life and have an abundance, that he would uh, give us everything complete. More than that, he is a priest, and he is a priest of the Most High God. In, in other words, Melchizedek was not a pagan. He wasn't just a random priest of Baal or some other figure. He was priest of the Most High God, the one who created heaven and earth. He is the priest of God in a priesthood that precedes the Mosaic priesthood. He is the one who is king over the heavens and the earth. He is one who has a universal, global priesthood. The scope of his ministry is beyond one tribe, beyond one people. Melchizedek preceded circumcision preceded the covenant with Moses, meaning he's not exclusive to one group of people. It's a, it's a priesthood over all the world. It's a mission that's going to go out forever. And all of this he's using to show us who Jesus is. And so, we, his big point is that we continue to worship a king and a priest who is greater than that had come before. And so we should remember hundreds of years after the Abraham met Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of righteousness went to Jerusalem to defeat and destroy our enemies as a king who conquered them, to redeem his brothers and sisters who had been taken captive by enemies and restore us into the family. He himself went to Jerusalem as a king who conquered not by fighting, but conquered by himself suffering to make peace and bring peace. He is the king who went to Jerusalem, and there he meets us and met the disciples, and he brings out bread and wine, to welcome them to a table, to pronounce God's blessing and the fulfillment of the covenant on them. And even now, he continues as our priest. Having made a sacrifice for us, he welcomes us to the table, and our great high priest meets us in this bread and wine to remind us of the covenant and the blessings of Almighty God that he has won for us as our king of righteousness who has conquered our enemies and now sets a table before us. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe.
to the words of the Apostles' Creed.